0: y'all welcome to episode four of Veer Queer. Um, In this episode we're going to talk a little bit about having a supportive queer family and how sometimes that might actually mean having to create that uh, because maybe sometimes having that support network won't necessarily come from blood. Um, But before we get into that I wanted to kind of put out a content warning for this episode just because we might talk about some potentially having things like Potentially suicide, depression, and even assault, and so we want to go ahead and put that out there that there are going to be some things that we will talk about on this episode that could be potentially triggering. Um, with that, I want to go ahead and bring in our guest, Anna Garza. Hey, how are you doing? Hi. How are you? I'm good. How was your weekend?
1: It was lazy. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. You yeah. said you played a show,
1: right? I did Friday night at uh, the Continental Club.
0: The con. Oh, that's in Midtown, right? I think so. Right?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, uh, so, uh, Anna, uh, what are some things that you want to let our listeners know about you uh, before we s- kind of dive into this? Like, I know that you started Girls Rock Camp Houston and also you're part of the um, Hatch Youth program, and so, you know, just taking on here. Yeah,
1: well, I guess just to add on to um, Girls Rock Camp Houston and Hatch Youth, I'm also a founding member of a group called CHA, C-H-A-A, which is a, a group of queer Asians Um, and our mission is to find other queer Asians and provide a safe space and some visibility for APIs. I'm also a co-founder of a feminist collective called Damn Girl, uh, D-A-M-G-X-R-L and that group was founded because a lot of the women musicians and fans of music in our uh, subculture, like pop, punk, that kind of thing, were upset about a lot of the sexual harassment by some of the you know uh, more prominent member, male members of our scene.
0: Yeah, uh, so it sounds like you're kind of really involved in the uh, um, community here. Um, so what exactly is CHA? I've never heard of that. I, I've heard of Dan Girl, but not Chaw.
1: Um, so CHA is a group made up of um, four or five individuals with all different backgrounds of ethnicities <laughs> like South Asians, uh, Chinese, I'm half Vietnamese. Um, So we recognize that even in marginalized communities, Asian queers are less visible and have less of a voice, and we know they're out there. And Mm -hmm. so we just want to be able to connect, um, also provide workshops, and just having like mixers, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Um, How recent or new is this group?
1: I believe we started early this year. Mm -hmm. We had a feature in Outsmart, I think, a few issues ago. Yeah? Uh, Yeah. You you say a
0: few issues ago?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: Huh. That's really cool. Um, So before we kind of get into the meat of everything, I want to play a little game with me, you, and Indisha about uh, this little game is going to be just a question so growing up especially with the age of technology and television we've all seen so many different shows and things and such like that so my question to you two is if you had to pick a fictional family that you wanted to be a part of who would it be and why i can start off if you want so do you guys remember the proud family yeah um, that was totally
2: going to be mine. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I know who is that? I'm
0: so sorry. No, it's like, I I really, really love that family, especially the grandma, uh, because she was so, like, sassy and, like, just, like, just in your face and also just kind of, like, said it how it is. And that reminded me a little bit of my um, abuela, Well, I called her my mama, um, because my grandmother was kind of like her and so i guess like if i had to pick a family probably be her and also i didn't really see a lot of like a, a lot of like black or brown families growing up either so
2: um for anna the proud family was a show on the disney channel um it was amazing it's really really cute and mm. destiny's child and solange sings a the theme song so I really a,
1: yeah i, I should mention that. that i'm 44 years old so a lot of these shows are like way <laughs>
0: past
1: way past my prime.
0: well yeah like Beyonce, totally and, and Solange. No, you said Destiny's Child.
2: Destiny's Child featuring Solange. They sing the theme song to The Proud Family.
0: Wow. You're lying. You're
2: I'm them. not lying. I'm they used to it. play. Yeah, they used to play the commercial all the time of them like recording it in the studio. It was amazing. What? Yeah,
0: it was my jam. Oh my God, I'm you gonna look. Me will all be <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna look it up now. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Well, what about you and geisha I know I kind of stole your thunder, so I'm sorry. Yeah, I was
2: still, like gonna <laughs> see The Proud Family just because like they were funny, but at the same time. they still like focused on growth and they're really supportive and like they had a lot of really great like heartfelt moments um as a different one i've been watching a lot of um, the fosters i don't know if i want to be a part of their family but i think (laughs) i would want a family like that in the future Mm -hmm. it's like this mixed family with a lot of like adopted kids and um there's two moms one's a cop the other one's like a Principal at a school. Mm-hmm. It's really, really cute. Also, I love the Belchers from
1: Bob's Burgers.
0: Yes. Do you watch Diana? No. No.
1: No? No. Oh
0: okay well then what family would you pick
1: so this is going to show my age so growing up like i really identified with the show good times i don't know if anyone remembers good times but the evans family i kind of felt was a little bit more identical to mine because we grew up very working class mm-hmm. and poor with a my you know immigrant mother so i really identified with that and i just love the fact that they have a strong family unit with a father and a mother and values and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm.
0: i never
1: watched that my mom had good times on vhs
2: really
0: yeah it was cool did, so did, so you watch a few episodes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i didn't i don't know what that is at all
2: Dynamite. <laughs> good shit
0: yeah so it, like going on with this idea about like having a strong support family network like you just said about um the family that you want to be a part of anna um i know that when i volunteered at the mantra center that there is a really great program called the Hatch program. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, can you tell our listeners who may not be from Houston, what is the Montreux Center and what should they know about it?
1: So the Montrose Center is an LGBT, um, it's an, like all inclusive LGBT center, which provides uh, counseling services, um, recovery services, youth services, senior services, um, HIV. So it's basically like a one stop shop for LGBT needs. Mm-hmm.
0: So then Hatch Youth is part of the Monitor Center, right? Yeah. So what is
1: that? So Hatch Youth is a part of the Youth Services Program, and it encompasses a lot of different programs, but the most popular one is our drop-in center, the most recognized one, which is Hatch Youth. And Hatch Youth is a drop-in center that's open three nights a week, mm-hmm. uh, Tuesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. And it's just a chance for um, you know queer kids to meet other queer kids, socialize, uh, make connections, get some education. Uh, and then they also have, we have a peer support group, so it gives them an opportunity opportunity to be able to discuss things that they may not feel comfortable discussing with family members or friends or you know teachers counselors that sort mm-hmm. of thing and then get direct feedback from their peers um, but we also have Project Remix which is our queer homeless youth program we have two part time outreach workers that will go out on the weekends and, and find queer youth and you know uh, hand out like you know hygiene products and unperishable stuff for them uh, and hopefully like refer them to Watcher Center if they need any kind of help mm-hmm. uh, we just started a rapid rehousing program for young people ages 18 to 24, which is basically uh, if they're homeless, uh, and the, uh, the literal definition of homeless, like they have to be on the street, we can help them find housing and get them set up with, you know, teaching them life skills and, and how to manage to live independently. Mm-hmm. We have another program called Safe Zones, which is the peer support group portion of Hatch Youth, but we go out into schools. And the only difference is that we have the therapist from the Montreux Center who will go out and facilitate these groups. Um, and then, of course, we have our prom every year. Uh, for the past two years, it's been at uh, Members Nightclub, and it's free for any youth ages 13 to 20. We walk in the Pride Parade. We also have Phoenix Youth, which is a new program that we started last year. Um, we are about to launch another program, hopefully by the end of this year, called Hatch Youth Junior, which is for youth 12 and under, because we're getting a lot of requests for services for youth since they're coming out younger and younger and nothing really exists for youth under 12. So we recognize a need for that. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of like amazed a little bit. I'm, I'm starstruck a little bit. Oh. Um, I remember volunteering at the Hatch Prom I think it was last year. Was it Was at the first year at Numbers? Yeah. I, I remember I volunteered it, it. was the first year at Numbers. Mm-hmm. And I almost cried watching the little queer babies like dance with each other and I was like, I can't handle this. My shitty queer heart is crying at this right now. Which one was the program where you said that they go out to the schools? Safe zones. Safe zones. Which schools do you go to? Because I've never never heard of that or really know anything about that, even growing up in the Houston uh, area.
1: I think we have, like, five schools so far. I don't remember all of them, but I think, like, Lamar, Reagan, mm-hmm. um, basically schools in HISD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, it's a collaborative program with uh, communities and schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a school will have to request if they want us to be a part oh. of their program curriculum
0: do you find have you got any requests outside of the city for y'all to come
1: we do but because of grant purposes we can we have a contract with hisd so we're we're a little bit more exclusive
0: right so hatch phoenix right you started that
1: uh which group hatch phoenix yes i did
0: yeah so tell us a little bit about hatch phoenix because i know it's a part of hatch youth but what specifically like what is hatch phoenix
1: so Phoenix Youth is a program for queer youth of color. Ages 13 through 20, we meet uh, the first and third Fridays of every month for about an hour and a half. And uh, the impetus for that program, since I started working at Hatch Youth three years ago, um, and this is something that we will readily acknowledge, there was a lack of young people of color. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, it's like we're all here, but it's yeah. like, w- like, what is out there for you, for queer youth youth of color, like what services are out there for them, you
1: know? Right. And so one of the, I think one of the the challenges that we face at Hatch Youth is that for me, and this is just like anecdotal, but I feel like the queer youth of color don't see the representation of themselves. We have a predominantly white uh, participation group whose interests are different. They have different culture, different lifestyle. So I think a lot of our youth of color who, who do return, have more interests with the group that particular group because we see youth of color they'll come and then we won't see them again and that really concerns me because uh working with queer youth of color is a passion of mine and if no one they need to know that people care about them mm-hmm. and so just mm-hmm. starting this program for me is just a small step and letting them know that we're here they do have a space where they can come and be themselves and not feel awkward
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really nice i definitely wish i had something like that growing up because uh I definitely agree, like, whenever it comes to different things in the community, even now as an adult, I still get that. Like, it'll be, I feel kind of unrepresented and kind of out of place, even if it's a safe space, even if it's a place that mm-hmm. everyone's welcome, but it's like when I only see one type of people there, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm allowed to be here, but I don't really feel comfortable because I don't feel represented, and I feel like I would be, like, the poster child for... And, for, and, and, for
1: and what, for what do you have in people. common, you know? Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. So I think it's really important that you try to get... um uh, youth that actually have uh, cultural backgrounds together, because that actually is seriously really important.
1: And, and the goal isn't to be separatist because they're more than welcome mm-hmm. to attend uh, Hatch Youth, which starts like 30 minutes after Phoenix ends. So they're more than welcome. We, we want to, you know, be able to integrate them into that program as well. Mm-hmm. But we want them to know that they have their own space when yeah. they need it.
2: Yeah, that's important. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I know that generally speaking, queer and trans youth of color are more vulnerable to like HIV pregnancy and sexual violence so why is a support group like phoenix youth so important for queer youth of color
1: well i think because our cultures are different Mm -hmm. and you know uh and it doesn't matter what shade of brown you are but there's a lot of homophobia There's a lot of transphobia. There's a lot of religion that comes into play. And so a lot of these youth don't have that. Most of them don't have that support from home or even from their own communities. Uh And, you know, we have to kind of cultivate a space for them. And I feel it's important that they know that we exist because, you know, they're the ones that tend to get lost, lost in the system. And we want to be able to provide the same type of services that we provide to the other youth Uh who have access to everything that they have access to. Uh You know, we're there for them, too. And, you know, it's just important for for young people to know that people do care. Right.
0: Definitely. definitely. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Is Hatch Phoenix a relatively new program?
1: It is. um, It started about a year ago. It's still kind of slow. Um, You know, the the numbers could be better. But, again, it's reaching, like, it's trying to reach out to to that base um, group and gaining their trust. I think that's the biggest thing that, that's the biggest obstacle that we face especially at the Montrose Center, is gaining the trust of communities of color.
0: Yeah. Um, sorry, is it Hatch Phoenix or is it Phoenix Youth? Phoenix Youth. Phoenix Youth? Yeah. Okay. I know that if something like this existed when I was a budding queer, that I probably would have came out a lot sooner. Um, I don't know if you listened to our first episode, but, you know, we came out later in our years, like 20, I think it's we 22 or 23. And I feel like if... A program like Phoenix Youth existed when I was younger. I probably would have came out sooner because I would have found that sort of support group that allowed me to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because like I feel like it's important that you do reach out to um, youth in that particular age because that's where everyone else around them starts to like cultivate their own identities and yeah. have crushes and stuff. So it can be really isolating when you don't feel the same way as everyone else around you. So I think the work that you're doing is incredibly important, and we're really Help a lot of uh, babies,
0: <laughs> right? Especially because it's definitely a cultural thing. Like, yeah, for me, being a queer brown woman is different from person who is, you know, white and queer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that, like, uh, like, like my white friends who are queer will understand me in the point of like you know we're both queer but they won't understand how there's a cultural aspect that comes with it when you're queer like oh, there's yeah. like intense homophobia in black and brown communities yeah and it's like I know that if, if I had a support group that like shared that with me, I would have felt way more comfortable being out. Yeah. And proud.
2: Yeah. It's hard to find people that are um, just openly accepted when you're in your own communities. I remember I would remember being in church mm-hmm. um, when I was younger, and this is before I even knew I was queer, and they would just talk about like homophobic stuff and everything else, and I would just feel like everyone was looking at me, and they weren't. I just right. felt guilty, and I was just like, I guess if I ever felt this way, I could never say anything to anyone at least no one in the church and at least no one that's beside me not my family that agrees with what this person's saying because I feel like it's super isolating and it's super awful and it's definitely in the community uh I wasn't the first person in my family to come out but um whenever uh someone else in my family came out before me it was really really harsh because I heard how everyone uh felt about them and then I was like well shit i can yeah. never say shit about me then right and you know i would get really upset and like really um passive-aggressive whenever they would bring the, so- the topic up because even though yeah. they were talking about someone else i also felt like they were that's what the same thing they would say about me yeah and i would get up in arms i would just throw a fit i would leave the room and they're just like what's wrong with her she mm-hmm. was a boyfriend and I'm what's
1: like, your problem I don't-, I don't want it though <laughs> But see, that, that's but that's exactly it. It's that stigma that prevents youth from coming out. Yeah. Which leads to depression, which mm-hmm. leads to suicidal ideation, which leads to engaging in risky behaviors like mm-hmm. unsafe sex and drugs. And, right. You know. Um, check, check, check. That yeah. was that was my use. Yeah. That, that, that you know, <laughs> keeps uh, our brown men um, on the down low. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when there's that stigma, they won't get tested for HIV. Mm-hmm. They'll right. wear condoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. And that's not to say that homophobia happens and, you know, you're like, our queer white friends. Like, that's not to say that doesn't happen, but I feel like it's way more intense in black and brown communities.
2: It's more collective, I feel like. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not just from that one person that drinks too much beer at the function. It's the whole family talking shit about, like, the community, and it's awful.
0: Right. And so, so you've worked both with Hatch Youth and then Phoenix Youth, right? Right. So what are the differences between the two groups that you've seen besides cultural i'm just curious about that
1: i'm gonna, I'm gonna try to explain this in a way that won't like incriminate our program but again right. we, we acknowledge that there are some serious issues that we've had with the hatch youth program uh mainly it was run by white people right you know so up until recently when people started to become woke they didn't really care about why we're not reaching youth of color or what are their interests, or what can we do to, to engage them? That wasn't a priority, but now it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the differences that I see, so a lot of our youth, because we are a drop-in center, it's self-selective. They come because either they've Googled us, or their therapist or school counselor recommended them to us. So we have youth who come who already have some sort of support. Okay. Um, and they have one less obstacle, meaning their parents can drop them off. Um, so I would say that's the biggest thing.
0: Uh but between the two? Yeah. Um so when did you realize that Hatch Phoenix, not Hatch Phoenix, Phoenix Youth needed to happen? I mean, I know that it's it's a, like a service that probably need to have happened like forever ago or that we've always need to happen, but when when was the moment that you said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to start this program?"
1: I think 6 months into uh working there i just i just saw the uh discrepancy Mm -hmm. and uh felt like something needed to be done Mm -hmm. and thankfully i had the support of of management to let me do this program now granted we only have an hour and a half compared Mm -hmm. to the three hours that we have with hatch but you know if the if phoenix youth if we can you know pick up the attendance numbers and grow hopefully they'll give us more time
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, what resources would you look into recommending for queer youth of color to look into in case, uh, they're displaced or kicked out or anything? Like, do you have any resources?
1: Well, uh, Hatch Youth would be one of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it will give them, like, some respite if they're, like, on the street or they just need a break. You know, they can grab a a drink or a snack or Mm -hmm. get some hygiene products or something. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's other great organizations like Montrose Gray's Place and Pink Giraffe House, um, Tony's place, I believe, is now a part of the Salvation Army. Their Yark program. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice.
0: Have you lived in Houston your whole life? Basically. Where are you from?
1: Uh, I'm from Victoria, Texas. That's oh. where my family's from. Yeah. V town.
0: Um, yeah. Just because, like, I was, I was just curious because it just seems like we, there's so much that you're doing here in Houston, and that's why. I'm incredibly proud to be from Houston because of people like you that go into the community and like really make shit happen, basically. Um, also I think I read somewhere that Houston has like one of the largest like trans communities in the U S. Am I, am I wrong on that? Like, do you know about anything about that?
1: I would say it's probably true because the demographics of our hatch youth program, they're predominantly we trans and non-binary youth. Now the cis LGBs. um, are outnumbered, really?
0: Oh, in, in in the in the hatch. In programs. our hatch
1: program, yeah. So there's a lot more representation and visibility of trans and non-binary youth. So I I tend to agree that they're probably uh, there's mm-hmm. a high higher percentage right. in Houston. Right.
0: Right. And it it makes me really glad that. There are people like you who end up staying because I know that there's people who like leave Houston because it's not necessarily like, queer enough for them or something like that. So. Or they
1: want to move somewhere where they already, <laughs> there's already like uh, an activist base where they feel like they can just integrate into a community instead of planting the seeds and cultivating it and doing something here. They're just going somewhere where there's already change happening. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I'd rather stay here and make the city what I want it to be instead of moving somewhere where I know it's already what it is, and mm-hmm. what can I contribute to that, mm-hmm. you know?
0: So you self-identify as queer, right? Yeah. Would a program like, like Phoenix Youth have benefited you as a growing queer person? Well, what's
1: interesting is that when I was a teenager, I went to Hatch Youth. Um, so um, I would say definitely yes, because from attending Hatch, I'm, I'm still friends with best friends with people I met at the program 25 years later. Oh, nice. So it it definitely fostered that, you know, family, mm-hmm. that alternative family. And we're still all great friends to this day.
0: Mm-hmm. Wait, how long has Hatch Youth been around? 30 years. Wow. I, didn't know that. I had no idea.
2: Yeah. I did not know that at all.
0: No. Oh. How long has the Montreux Center been around?
2: Oh,
1: that I don't know. Uh, Hatch Youth was uh, an independent program. It was like an all-volunteer-run program mm-hmm. before uh, it was, uh, integrated into the Montreux Center, uh, uh, programs. Mm
0: -hmm. So why do you think that queer youth of color are more likely to be vulnerable in unfortunate situations like homelessness and sexual assault? Like, I know that part of it has to be that they have to deal with, like, this, like, double discrimination of, like, not only are they, you know, POC, but also they're queer, So, I don't know if really any of that plays into it, but why do you think so? Oh,
1: but then you're also forgetting that there's also the racism that they have to, you know, that they endure not only from straight America, but from queer America, too. Mm -hmm. So, it's like layers of an onion. There's just so many more obstacles and challenges that queer youth of color have to face as opposed to, you know, white queer youth.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I feel like... I was just having this conversation with someone earlier, that, and I'm not trying to segregate any groups at all but I feel like especially like white gays and I'm using the word gay as like you know like lesbian gay like whatever whatever just white queers kind of are colorblind sometimes like they don't understand that it's like things happen like within like the black and brown community that they think that they're like woke or that they, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I'm basically like trying to go off like what you're I'll saying.
1: give an example. So like when marriage equality became legal, I had a lot of yes. older white male friends who were crying saying, thank God, I'm no longer a second class citizen. And I'm thinking if this is the, the worst problems that you that you face, like, imagine being in our shoes. Yeah. Like If this is it for you, you know, uh, like, I don't, I don't know how more self aware you could be. Yeah,
0: right. Sorry. Yeah. That's basically what I was trying to say. Because discrimination didn't end when gay marriage became legal right Right. like violence against queer trans um people of color is still prevalent right and so like so like you said if if the worst you've ever had to deal with is not being able to legally marry your partner then like wow must be nice yeah yeah phoenix youth is specifically sorry not phoenix youth since hatch hatch the program itself is specifically for youth what kind of advice would you give for people who are coming out a little bit later in their years or like how would they try to form that support group for them
1: well at hatch as a rule we don't encourage youth to come out uh, that's yeah. just a responsibility that we're not right. prepared uh, to advise but we do you know uh, we do you know ask them to think about what the repercussions would be be meaning if you come out now will you be kicked out of your home will you lose uh, education right will your parents refuse to fund your college mm-hmm. would you you know would you be able to support yourself like think of all these things before you feel like you're absolutely ready um, I also uh, read somewhere because of marriage equality there's a lot of youth who came out before they even had that support, just because they're seeing it done. They're seeing it, uh, it being more visible. And so that actually, believe it or not, um, it affected queer homeless youth because a lot of youth were seeing in society that, oh my God, you know, marriage is legal and you know everything's gay on TV. I'm just going to come out without thinking of those repercussions. And yeah. that contributed to the, percent, the higher percentage of queer homeless youth.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about the other things that you've been involved with as well. Okay. So what made you want to start Girls Rock
1: Camp Houston? Uh, so I've always been um, a fan of music ever since I was a wee a wee lass. Um, music was, so I, I, my parents divorced when I was really young. Uh, you know, my, my father uh, is Mexican. My mother is Vietnamese. And so uh, when they divorced, my mother took my brother and I to Houston. And she's an immigrant woman with like, you know, uh, I would say below average English skills and just would take any kind of job she could to support us. So we were latchkey kids. we were basically like street rats. You know, we had to raise ourselves and music was that one thing that I felt was my salvation. I just loved it. It saved me. Like, I felt like I would listen to songs. And I'm like, they get me, they understand me. Uh-huh. Um, and also growing up really angry too, because, uh, you know, um, you know, we went through a lot of abuse, you know? Um, so always being a fan of music, but not having the money to buy instruments. I was just a fan. I, I, I felt like I couldn't participate in this other world because I just didn't have the means to do so. Until I became a teenager, I didn't start playing music until a little bit later on in life, like around 18, 19, when I could get a job and afford to buy my own, you know, guitar and teach myself how to play. Uh, so I would, you know, I was involved in the music scene and helped with booking, sh- like, the local punk shows, hardcore shows, and make fanzines, and realized that, you know, I have a lot of, friends who are in crappy bands and if they can do it why why can't i right and so you know i would uh so i was a part of this group uh called hands up houston which was a local booking collective um and then hands up houston disbanded and i just felt like i didn't really have anything to do uh but all through those years i've noticed that things didn't change in terms of uh the male dominance in the music scene like women have like women have to make big decisions on whether or not they want to continue to play music, right? Right. Either they get married and have children, they have to become a mom, or how do they balance career and music? Whereas guys tend to have a little bit more of that support, and so it always bothered me that we didn't have. And I'm 44, and so I've been around for a really long time. So I would see the waves <coughs> of young people who will come and go, you know. And so it really bothered me that we just didn't have a, a solid base of women either playing music or working behind the scenes and like audiovisual or booking shows. And so uh, I was in this very short-lived all-girl band. And uh, we couldn't play. Like, we really didn't know how to play our instruments. And our lead singer uh, was a very creative person, you know, could make her own clothes and was a hairstylist, but put a microphone in front of her face and she wouldn't sing. In every practice, it would just be us like, yeah, open your mouth, like, say something. Uh, And that also started to make me think about maybe societal pressures and expectations of women and not being able to be expressive in, in other ways other than just like visual mm-hmm. um and so one night we decided to skip practice because we weren't being productive and we went to see this documentary called girls rock which is the original girls rock camp in portland oregon and i'm sitting there watching this movie with eight year old girls writing a song in five days like being in a band and running a song and i'm like i'm gonna a group with adults and we can't even we can't even do that um so for me again of cultivating i was like well if we want more women in the scene we're gonna have to Start developing a scene, meaning we'll teach the girls how to play instruments. We'll teach them how to write songs. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of guide them into uh, working in a, like, non-competitive creative environment with women only. Um, so that's what I did. I decided I'm going to start one here in Houston and reached out to a lot of different people. And eight years later, here we are. That's so cool.
2: Um, how can people get involved with that? That sounds awesome.
1: Uh, well, thankfully, uh, we do have a lot of volunteer positions. Um, so we won't start working on camp again until, like, January 2018. We only do it uh, one summer, like one week per summer a year. Um, it's all volunteer, including the, the coordinators and myself. Um, so if you wanted to volunteer, you can go to our website, which is girlsrockhouston.org, and there's a, a volunteer application that you can fill out. And you don't have to have musical experience for some of the positions that we have.
0: Do you think women in the music scene have to work a lot harder than men?
1: Absolutely. Why? Oh, yeah. Because
2: the music scene is made by men for yeah. men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And right. it's like, not only do you have to prove yourself, you also have to look good while you're doing it.
0: Right, I know. Like,
2: So you can be really beautiful and not be a great singer.
0: <laughs> like, literally, it's like women have to work, especially, like, women of color have to work so much fucking harder to like mm-hmm. get themselves on a really nice bill for any music festival but like you you see these boring ass guys who can just network and it's like oh like they're in like it's fine yeah. like i've seen it happen too many times and i'm just like i'm tired i'm so sick of seeing these tired ass dudes mm-hmm. like taking up space in the scene or on the stage
1: hey i got a banjo and a can of beans this is my band
2: <laughs> <laughs> like ugh
1: So there's still a lot of work to be done because obviously the gatekeepers of our scene are, it's male dominated. And until we can get some women in there to like cause a ruckus and, you know, demand our, our space, you know, like for me, my attitude is, can we curse? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah so like, you know, fuck free press, fuck day for night. Like, I don't don't need you, like, I don't need you to, you know, uh curate a scene for myself. Like, I can, I want to make a, a music festival for us, by us. I don't need men to cherry-pick women just to satisfy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: We should make a queer woman festival. Yeah. We should do that.
1: Well, that's what Damn Girl, that's part of, we received an Idea Fund grant last year, and part of our project is, uh, you know, organizing shows with uh, artists and musicians of uh, color. And, and a part of the marginalized community.
3: Nice, nice. I wanted, I wanted to intervene and yeah. tell Anna that I went to the Damn Girl, I guess the last recital for, I guess after the the last.
1: Was event. it Maria Chavez?
3: No, or not the Damn. Um, I'm sorry. What is it? The um, Girls Rock. Girls Rock. Yeah. The oh. re, the last recital. Oh, our end of camp showcase. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was awesome. Uh, the one at a Secret Group. Yeah, it was packed. Yeah, yeah. It was. That place is huge, and it was just completely standing room packed. And
1: For, it's been that way since our first year, so we have a lot of support from the community.
3: Yeah, and it was just you know, little kids playing on, like rocking out on stage. It was, it was sweet. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: and, and hearing some of them who have very strong messages, too. Oh, yeah. Strong political messages. We had this, I don't know if you remember the last group, uh, the bass player came up to talk about immigration. Yes, Actually, we found out after the fact there was, like, this old white guy in the crowd that was really pissed off because he felt like this wasn't a place for politics.
2: Music's punk,
0: and
1: music we're, like, is political. Do you not you know what our mission is? is right. You know? uh,
2: so, and that affects the youth more than anyone else right. because music he's is- going to die soon, and they have to live with that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would love hearing kids talk about Absolutely. stuff like that. M-
0: music is political, and I don't think a lot of people realize mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah, you know, like you can listen to... Like Justin Bieber on the radio and feel great, but at the end of the day, like music, especially punk, is fucking
1: political. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has been. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah.
3: Riot, you know. Right. Right. right pussy. Yeah. All those. All
1: yeah. Those bands. Pussy Riot. Pussy Riot, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm young. I don't know. So, like, wow. Oh, happened a with,
1: disclaimer yeah? though. I, I, I do appreciate Day for Night and Omar, uh, but. He, he knows my feelings on, on this subject.
2: <laughs> um, um, you,
1: you, said it the right, you said it the right way the yeah. first time.
2: Yeah. We, just, were, we were literally just talking about those ticket prices. We were like, um, this demographic? is demographic. Right. <laughs> we're like, who's going to go? That's like three car payments. Um, I still haven't got back on my feet since Harvey. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then you had the nerve to like have all my faves and How not charge you? me. Tea
1: yeah. well yeah <laughs> the, the good I thing about it. so i just came back from chicago at riot fest like they actually had like layaway installment plans mm. which was good for me yeah um because i i felt like there were way more better acts performing there than no offense but than day for night has because, no if, I, I feel that yeah. yeah yeah but i mean they work with you you know what i mean and i think that's something that maybe day for night if they can you know become a, a bit more um stable can offer the community, especially
2: yeah. after Harvey, right?
0: Right.
1: It was like, the nerve. Mm-hmm. The
2: nerve. I almost
0: like, uh, I am always <laughs> trying to, like, decide between Day for Night or Sound on Sound Fest, and I think the line, the gigs for Sound on Sound are waving. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. That lineup is super strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Who's, oh, what where is it? It's
0: a, uh, it, so, if Didn't I'm ask? not mistaken, Sound on Sound used to be, like, Fun 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 Fest, and okay. they changed change to Sound on Sound, and it's a uh, Sherwood Forest Sherwood forest um in austin area okay yeah something like that i know kalani's playing and i'm really gay for kalani Ooh. so oh yeah
2: she's cute you know? <laughs> she's real cute those little face I mean, tattoos like, other
0: bands like yeah yeah yes and um converge you know bands like them are playing but i really want to see kalani because i'm hella gay for her it's fine <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um do you guys um do like different themes or anything different for like girls rock camp i'm just like curious
1: yeah actually we do um so like every year we'll choose a theme like last year we were very inspired by black lives matter and so like our theme last year was hashtag like you matter um and then this year uh because of trump and all that kind of bullshit like our Mm -hmm. our theme was it's taken from uh our camp theme song which is called don't be afraid to be weird um there's a line that says stand up stand out and so that was our theme this year
0: Mm -hmm. do you get a or I don't know if you might know this, uh, a good amount of girls that come in that are queer.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, this year we have uh, three returning campers who identify as trans boys.
0: Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice! Ooh, queerbies. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's I see a crossover of them from like Girls Rock Camp to Hatch, so it, it, it's it's cute. Um, but you know, uh, we had a debate on whether or not because you know Girls Rock Camp is supposed to be female oriented if trans boys would be allowed and we kind of felt like absolutely because here we are encouraging them to be authentic and to be themselves and here they are discovering themselves Mm -hmm. and we're like peace no that's that's not right so we're we're we're, we have to catch up with culture Mm -hmm. so you know we're expanding it to like you know female female identified and non-binary Uh, youth. Mm
2: -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. That's really awesome that you guys take that into consideration and you're not afraid to change because...
1: Because those campers really wanted to come back even though they don't identify as female anymore. Yeah. And I think it's because they need that social support system Mm -hmm. and it would just be horrible for us to take that away from them. Right. Mm -hmm. That's awesome.
3: Yeah. I wanted to ask so since we don't have like an equal rights ordinance and you do... Run into a lot of trans, you know, youth. Mm-hmm. Do you think that has impacted, you know, a lot of people from coming out or, you know, staying deeper in the closet or?
1: From what I've observed, no. No, that's no. good. Mm-mm. Yeah. It just makes them not want to pee during school or, right. you know, but mm-hmm. uh, in terms of coming out, no.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, not even just like you know, going to the bathroom. I guess it's you know, you're Businesses are allowed to deny you service mm-hmm. because of whatever category you seem like you fit into, you know, but I guess it's still good. Yeah.
0: Houston can give us gay crosswalks, but not trans rights. Right. What's mm-hmm. wrong? You mm-hmm. like? You've <laughs> c- seen those rainbow crosswalks? Yeah, it's,
3: well, you know, it's because we don't vote.
0: <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's that. Like, I think that th- th- this is where to go off on a tangent about that, but it's, I don't know if it was if it's really that we didn't vote. I think that people want to vote, but didn't know how or that for some reason or another they couldn't like I know for me personally like I couldn't vote for the ordinance because I didn't realize that my voter registration card was back was had my old address. it wasn't for city of Houston, yeah. It's like stupid bullshit like that that I should have like looked up beforehand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I I that I couldn't vote. And I know that a lot of people ran into problems like that too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a little bit of like also we don't vote, but also the people that wanted to like couldn't because yeah. they didn't live in Houston. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, Anna, I want to thank you for coming in with us. Do you what have yeah? Do you have anything you want to plug in? Any events or anything?
0: Any handles. Any of uh, Well, any
1: so my band Claire, I play in a band called Claire. Uh, we should have a record coming out in a couple of months, so you should like us on Facebook, Instagram. On it. Yeah, I'm on yeah, it. Cool. Doing it right now. Yeah, we're an all-girl band, if that makes any difference to anybody. It does. I'm in. I'm in.
0: <laughs> yeah, so thank you guys for um, listening to us. Uh, th- this has been Veer Queer. I'm B. this was Anna, and there's a in- beautiful Indisha sitting across from me.
2: I'm right over here. Can you see me? Yeah,
0: I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys again for coming on to and listening to us. Uh, don't forget to like us at Veer Queer Podcast. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. And please like and share our page and our episodes. And... Again, uh, we will see you in the next episode. Thanks. Bye.
3: Bye. Mockingbird Network.